The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. So we're going to be in Malachi 2, um, we're going to do 17, chapter 217, and we're just going to go to 3, 4 tonight. No, that's not true. 3, 5. So Malachi 2.17 to 3.5. Let's begin just with the first, first verse there, Malachi 2.17, page 802. Malachi the prophet says, you've wearied the, the Lord with your words. But you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Where is justice? Have you ever asked that question before? Where is justice? Yeah, probably something wrong with you if you've never asked it. Because if you look at it, the world, where is justice? Um, it seems a lot of times like there's not. In fact, it's true, there isn't. There isn't any justice. Um, one picture of that is evil people who love evil things are rich and powerful and cozy and comfortable and have everything they need and more. And then seemingly good people um, are abandoned, are abused, are lost, are alone and have nothing trampled. So we say, where's the justice in that? Um, and it's a good question. And that's a question that's raised here in Malachi, but there's some background we need to hear there's an atmosphere that colors the question. So what do you remember about Malachi? When's it written? Good. Good. Israel came out of, uh, miraculously, right? It's kind of cool to move from Daniel to Malachi. Daniel, we saw Israel go into exile in Babylon due to their sin. Malachi, we see, hey, they're out. They're back. They have temple and priests. It's about 150 years after they got back or so. Okay. But what's it like in Israel? Anybody remember? It's, the temple's not really finished. Um, everything's dry. Um, the, the priests, yeah, they're going through the motions. The priests are there, but they're just going through the motions. They don't care. We saw, we saw that a couple weeks ago. We saw the men, right, um, abandoning their first wives and hooking up with the hot pagan ladies. Um, and God was angry on both accounts. He's been angry both times. And we've seen the problem with Malachi is a failure to be able to delight in what's truly delightful. They can't, the people can't see what's truly delightful and love it. Instead, they're tempted by these sideline things um, and deny what's most important. I just think that, that's worth hitting on any time we think about this book. Um, really, conversion is finally being able to see what's delightful. 2 Corinthians 4, the Holy Spirit shines light, so you see the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Before, you may have heard the gospel before, the, the, the ideas went through your ears, through your brains, oh, Jesus is what he is and what he's done, and you're like, eh, I don't care. You didn't see. You couldn't delight in what was truly delightful. The Spirit changes your heart, opens your eyes, and you go, oh, that's what it's all about. And now you see, now you're different, now you're changed. Um, can you delight in what's truly delightful. And ultimately, you know, what's, what's the ultimate delight? What's the most valuable, the most worthy, the most beautiful thing there is? 
It's God himself. So to see what's truly delightful is to see him and to love him. And Israel at this time isn't. They're going through the motions, but they do not delight in him. And so, what do you think is the atmosphere or the attitude behind this question for them at this point? They're struggling economically, re- religiously, politically. They're struggling. What do, they, what do they want? What do they hope for if you're an Israelite 150 years after exile? Wouldn't you love to go back to the time of Solomon? You know, where the gold's pouring out of the windows? Wouldn't, wouldn't you love to go back? And why are these evil nations, why are they doing so good? And we're stuck here in this muddy hole, and you want us to keep offering our lambs and sacrifices. Do you hear any complaining in this? There definitely is some. There definitely is some. So, I want to say to you, in one, in one way, this question, where is justice? It's a fair question. It's a good question. The psalmists ask it. It's all through the Bible. In another way of asking it, there's some complaining and some self-righteousness. Where's justice? Give me what, give me what I deserve. Why do those guys over there have it so good and I don't? You see? A sense of, like, entitlement. If, if we're God's people, how come we're not rolling in the dough? How come our buildings aren't full? How come our bank accounts aren't full? Why, why, why do they have it all? And look how the, the Lord tells you how he feels about their questioning in verse 17. How does he feel, verse 17? You have wearied the Lord with your words. <laughs> I think that's funny language. First of all, can God get tired? In a way, no. In another way, what's he saying to them? Just knock it off. It shows that their question here isn't quite as genuine or sincere as it should be. They're not having an honest question about justice and how it comes through. There's self-entitlement. There's pride to it. Because look what he's going to say in the beginning of chapter 3. Because that last question, right, where is the God of justice? What's implied in that question? What comes to you in that question? What are they saying to God? Yeah, you, you've left us, man. You're not keeping your part of the deal. You're not giving us what we deserve. Where's the God of justice? And so look what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. All right. You want to see me? I'm coming. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and a purifier's, and like a fuller's soap. Okay, 3-1, what's God going to send? All right, I'm going to send a messenger, and he's going to prepare a way, and who else is going to come? He will prepare the way before me. I'm coming. And the Lord whom you seek, I believe this is sarcastic. The Lord whom you, you should probably read it like this, the Lord whom you seek. You really want me to come? 
The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant whom you delight, oh, you, you delight in me, do you? He's coming, because verse two, what's he say there? Oh, I'm coming. Who can endure it? Who can endure it? So they're saying, God, why won't you come and give us justice? And God says, all right, I'll come. But you think you'll be okay if I give justice? See, here's the problem when you ask for justice, right? This is the problem. I want justice out there. All right, well, if I come and bring justice out there, what if I come and bring justice over here? It's a dangerous thing to ask God for what you deserve. Because what do you deserve? (laughs) If he comes bringing his law on, on that guy over there and he brings his law on you, did you keep his law? You know, why does... Why does God let so much evil happen? It's a, it's a valid question. It's a good question. It's an important question. But what would the world look like t- tomorrow if God ended all evil tonight? Would you still be here? If God wouldn't let any more sin happen, would you still be alive? Justice is just. It goes everywhere. And so, you know, there's these attitudes we have in, in God's delay. So, illustration, there's this teacher who, um, he said, all right, um, you're going to have four papers, it's all your class is uh, these four papers, and um, you have to get it in on time, and if you don't get it in on time, I'm going to fail you, fail you for that paper. You have to get it in on time. So, the first paper, the students brought in, the, the, uh, in their papers, and a couple of them say, oh, you know what, I was, um, I couldn't make it, and blah, 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 I didn't have enough, and Please, a little mercy. And the guy said, all right, a little mercy. So he let him delay, turn in late. So the next paper came around, and guess how, do you think it was more or less people that brought the paper in late? More, oh, oh, please, you guys, I told you, if you bring it in late, you're, it's late and you'll fail. Oh, okay, I'll let you. Third one, everybody comes in, more or less bring it in late. More, oh, gave them all Fs. And what do you think they said? That's not fair. You didn't. You gave us mercy before. We thought it was going to never end. If you gave them mercy, we deserve mercy. Was it just for him to give them Fs? Yeah. Sinful hearts do this with God's delay. Right now, we don't. Imagine if every time you sinned, you know, you got a vision of hell or your skin started burning. You know, you, you go, you get the magazine you shouldn't look at, and as you get closer, you know, your hand is like catching on fire, <laughs> or you see the demons like over your shoulders. Like if, if there was immediate, if you, if you sense the immediate justice for sin, you'd have this fear. But because God's so patient and so gentle, we think, oh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. And it's a time of grace right now, Right? for the gospel to spread. But what's going to come one day? He's going to come. Can you handle it? Can we handle it when he comes? When he finally comes? And this is what he's saying to them. You think you can endure it when you want want justice? It's going to come. Can you endure it? So then we see what justice will do. God will come with his messenger, and he's going to do two things. The first thing he's going to do is verse 3. He will refine 
and purify the sons of Levi, refine them like gold and silver. They'll bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in in former years. Now in Malachi, that really stands out because what are the priests like in chapter two? They're corrupt. It's a bunch of junk, right? And so God's saying, when I come in justice, I'm going to transform some people. I'm going to change their hearts. I'm going to change them to where they love to worship me. Uh, They're going to share my character. They're going to be pleasing to me like they're supposed to be. So that's one side of the judgment, right? Then the other side of the judgment is found in verse 5. Then I'll draw near to you for judgment. Isn't that amazing? Hey, where's justice? Verse 5. It's coming. I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For those who don't fear me and they go after other gods and they mistreat their neighbor, I'm bringing justice. By the way, which one of you has gone after other gods and mistreated your neighbor? So justice is coming, right? So you see, that's all we're going to do for Malachi right here. They say, hey, where's justice? We want justice. God says, you really want justice? You think you can handle justice? All right, I'm coming. I'm going to send my messenger, and I'm going to come with justice. It's going to be like a refining fire. Some people I'm going to totally transform. Other people, they're going to pay the piper. And then it just kind of moves on. And Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And even in the intertestamental period, uh, there's writings about how prophecy has ceased. God isn't speaking like he used to speak. And so for us, you know, if, if we were to end, look at the last verse in Malachi. Is it right there in front of you? Chapter 4, verse 5. It ends still waiting. Behold, I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he'll turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. End of Old Testament. The Old Testament by itself is just kind of like, we failed, we lost, what happened? and we're waiting. We're just waiting. Who's going to come? We should be looking for a messenger, and then we should be looking for the Lord himself to come to his temple. When do you think that happens? The New Testament. Turn to Matthew. Yeah. You got it. Every single one of the Gospels mentions John the Baptist and how crowds of people went to him, and he's a prophet. What are they waiting for for 400 years? Malachi said... God's going to come, and before he comes, he's going to send a, a messenger. And so, first of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 11, verse 7 to 10, because Jesus actually quotes Malachi right here. Uh, the topic of conversation here is John the Baptist, so Matthew 11, verse 7, everybody there, page 816. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John the Baptist. He wasn't actually a Baptist. He was a Presbyterian. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? The weeds blown by the wind? No. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? No. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. What's Jesus quoting from? Malachi 2. Did God keep his promise? You want justice? It's coming. I'm going to send a messenger and I'm going to come. And who's the messenger? John the Baptist. What's he saying, by the way? What's his message? Keep a finger in Matthew 11, flip over to Matthew 3, 1 to 2. Yeah, page 808. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Verse 2, what's he say? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king's coming, God's coming, the Lord is coming. Repent, what's the message? Repent. When justice comes, what do you need to have done? Repent. What prepares the way for the Lord? What gets you ready to meet the Lord? Repent. Repent. What's repent mean? Really, it literally means to turn. So you're walking one way, and you go, this is not a good way. But you don't just feel guilty about it and keep walking that way. A lot of people love to do that, right? Feeling bad about what you've done is not repentance. I'm really guilty. I'm so sorry. Are you going to stop? No. It's not repentance. Repentance turns and goes the other way. And so really the big picture is if you're, if you're walking away from God, turn to Jesus. Turn. Turn away from your sin. Turn to Jesus. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's the line. Remember, when the Lord comes to his temple, does Jesus come to the temple? We don't need to turn there, but does Jesus actually go to the temple? He goes several times. He goes once in John. What does he do? Probably early in his ministry, he makes a whip, kicks over the tables. Wouldn't you have loved to be there? I mean, he actually makes a whip. <laughs> yes, Great point. When he's 12, he's in the temple, too, talking to the priests. Yeah. Yeah, good. And he was in the temple a bunch of times to teach. But yeah, that's a great story. Yep, amazed by his wisdom. And then he goes to the temple and kicks everybody out, stops temple worship, and they're like, who gives you the right to do this? And he's just, and then he leaves. Um, three days. Just Destroy this temple three days, I'll raise it up. And they're like, it took us 46 years to build this temple. What are you talking about? He just leaves. And the disciples later on go, three days. We know what's going on. He was speaking of the temple of his body. He goes again in the synoptic gospels, kicking everybody out. Right before Passover, stops all the worship. Can you imagine? He kicks out all, there's, there's no, he stops the sacrifices as if he's saying, all this stuff you're doing is not going to work. There's one sacrifice that's going to end it all himself. Does, does he come to the temple in judgment? Twice. 
What's that fulfilling? Malachi. He sends a messenger. Who's the messenger? John the Baptist. He comes. He comes for judgment. But he, he, remember, remember when God comes, he's going to do two things. What's he going to do? Refine and transform people and bring justice. We could go a lot of places for this, but let's just stay in Matthew 11. First, justice. Look at Matthew 11, 20 to 24. Isn't it cool how the Bible works together like this? It's unbelievable. Matthew, Malachi wrote this a long time before Matthew. And then it's just, you're waiting, you're thinking, God's never going to keep this promise. It's been 400 years. Our country's not that old. That's so long. And all of a sudden, promise kept, bam, word for word. Incredible. Look what, look what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done. Why? They didn't repent. What, what should you do if justice is coming? Repent. They didn't. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. What does woe mean? You're in trouble. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. What is Jesus claiming to know? And this is staggering. He not only knows present reality, he knows theoretical reality, and he knows what would have happened in these ancient Gentile cities if they had seen him. And he knows they would have repented. And the theoretical knowledge of what would have happened will play into his justice in judging what did happen. Are you catching this? For if the mighty works done in Tyre and Sidon um, they would have repented, but I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will be, you'll be exalted to heaven. You'll be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, you remember how bad that place was? It would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. He's just, he's bringing the rain. It's going to go worse for you, I'll be frank, than the homosexual rape city. Why? They saw Jesus and they wouldn't repent. This is so sobering. So sobering. There's pe- you know, I've been a pastor here for 12 years. There's people who came and heard and heard and heard and heard and left and don't care about Jesus. It will be worse for them than for a whole lot of other people. For us to be able to see the Lord from the Gospels and hear his words, we best repent. <laughs> and I know we have. But that's the judgment. So not only, that's eternal judgment. Not only that, there's going to be 70 A.D. judgment where Rome comes and rips the city apart. Not one stone will be left on another. Remember how Jesus says that? Not one stone will be left on another. Well, when they sent the temple on fire, all the gold melted, went in between the stones, and so guess what the soldiers did? Got to get me some gold. His word comes true. 
So justice is coming. So, so God is keeping his promise to Israel of Malachi's day. You want justice? I'm coming. 400 years later, he comes with the messenger saying, repent. And on one side, there's judgment. On the other side, there's transformation. Well, let's see the transformation, 25 to 30. Those who do repent, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Remember the beginning of Malachi? I love you, God says. Remember? And they said, how do you love us? And what did God say? Jacob, I loved Esau. I chose you. What is Jesus saying happened to you if you repented? What happened to you to enable you to repent? I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Those are the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the cities. They don't like Jesus. They can't see who he is. They can't see what's delightful. And revealed them to little children, simple people. Such was your gracious will. Look at verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and who else? Anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So if you've repented and turned and you see and love your Father in heaven, why is it that you can know the Father, according to Jesus? Because Jesus showed you. It's grace. So how is it, the question, and Paul asked this question in Romans, how is it just then that God brings the rain on Chorazin and Bethsaida, but then chooses to reveal himself to you when you've done the same sins? Do you hear the question? How is he righteous? Because what do I deserve? Judgment. So why is he giving me life? Because remember, he's going to come with justice. Yeah. Our culture asks, how can God let good thing, how can God let bad things happen to good people? Paul in Romans asks, why, how can God let such good things happen to such bad people? We don't ask the right questions. <laughs> and the answer is the cross. Romans 3, God shows himself in the cross to be both just and the justifier of the ungodly. So how do we see that God, no, he really is just, he brings justice? Well, my sins were paid for. Your sins were paid for. Just not by you. Isn't that great news? Not by you. He paid for every one of them. If you've repented and trusted in him. In fact, God counts you justified as if you're totally righteous. Like you did everything right every time and you never did anything wrong. That's the way he looks at you. Isn't that incredible? It's ridiculous. It's his grace. And he's just to do it because of the substitute. The propitiation who paid for the sin. So back to 28. Some are going to be transformed by grace through the justice of the cross. Do you see it? Come to me, all you who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beautiful words, isn't it? Contrast the Jesus of 25 to 30 with the Jesus of 20 to 24. Same Jesus. How's he treating Chorazin and Bethsaida? He's a lion. He's got his scepter out. He's creaming them. Justice. How's he treating people 25 to 30? He's lowly. He's humble. He's kind. What's the difference in those people? He took the justice for them, and they repented. And then they're transformed by that grace. Remember the priests are going to offer holy offerings in Malachi 2, or Malachi 3. They're going to be righteous. They're going to be refined. Guess what the grace of the cross does in those who receive it? That's us. We're the priests. The priestess says, changed by the gospel, changed by his grace. And now, like uh, Romans 12, present your bodies, your whole lives, as a spiritual sacrifice, a spiritual offering. Wow. So how does God respond when his people doubt his judgment in Malachi? He comes overwhelmingly, bringing justice. Some that judges those who won't repent and some that refines by grace through the cross those who will. So as we ask this question, God, where's justice? You know, read Psalm 73 on this if you want another perspective, but the answer is here. It's coming when Jesus comes again the second time and it's already come through the cross. So make sure you rely on the justice of the cross before you get to the justice of the second coming. You want to have been made just, made righteous before he comes back. So listen to the messenger. What's he say? Repent and believe. And as you repent, you know that you're deeply loved. The fa- Jesus has revealed the Father to you. You can come and rest in who he is and what he's done with no fear of his judgment. Why don't we mix it up a little tonight? I gotta move things around up here, but why don't you get in groups of uh, three or so, two or three, and why don't you just praise God together for what he's done for you? Does that sound good? So just, just take a few minutes, um, Circle up, and uh, just thank God together. So, Chica, you, got, you have to turn around and join those guys. So, just based on what we, on what we read, what we encountered, um, just take time. You know, you don't have to pray. You don't have to pray out loud if you don't want to. Don't pray, don't pray super long, but just join together and... Thank God for what he's done and asking him to keep refining us. Thank him for his justice in Christ. I'll start. Heavenly Father, we just, when we think of what we deserve versus what you give us, it's staggering. I deserve your wrath and instead you give me grace. I deserve to be punished and instead you treat me like a child. Um, I deserve to lose everything and instead you give me an inheritance and it's all through Christ. And so we want to, we thank you that you've enabled us to repent. We want to keep repenting. 
um, and, uh, and resting in Christ, the King, the Judge, the one who's come. Uh, help us now as we continue our worship, continue to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.